welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm the other host, Charles Sheeland. And today we're covering the second Enchanted Forest Chronicles book, which is Searching for Dragons. And that takes us halfway through the whole series. For anyone who is new to our show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. This was suggested by Charles and... I'm actually kind of enjoying it, so wow, I never thought I would. Well, I win. Ta-da. What do you win? Just for recommending something that you would enjoy. Well, yes, I have been enjoying it, but I'll just go ahead and give a quick summary. It's pretty brief today, but we meet Mendenbar, who is the king of the Enchanted Forest, and... He's having trouble with a burned-out patch of the forest, so he goes to talk to Kazul, which from our last book, she's the new Dragon King, and so he goes to talk to her because he wants to investigate it. He doesn't know what's going on, but she is missing, so he ends up meeting Cimmerine, which was our main character from the last book, the princess, and Kazul's princess, and they go together on a quest to find Kazool, and they basically go traipsing around trying to find her, and eventually do. There's some romance, and that was pretty much the whole book. We're obviously going to go more in depth throughout the episode, but that's a nice brief summary for the start. And for my impressions, I'll just say I did really like it. I think I liked this book even more than the last one because there was romance in it, which If you're a regular listener of Throwback Paperback, you know that I am a huge fan of romance, and so I just really enjoyed that. And I also really liked Mendenbar's character, which that's who we mainly followed in this book, so I really enjoyed him. I, of course, love Cimmerine again. And I think overall, so far, I think I'm enjoying these books because I like the characters a lot as compared to Narnia, which was one of the last series we read that Charles recommended that... I don't know if he thought I was going to like them, but I really didn't like Narnia, but that was because I didn't like the characters, and I do think I'm just personally more drawn to character-driven stories, so as opposed to, like, world-building, which, like I said, that's why usually I'm not drawn to fantasy, because often fantasy is more about the world, so I'm enjoying this because it's, I don't know if it's more character-based, but, like, there's just better characters. Yeah, for my impression... I'd actually forgotten that this book kind of follows Mendenbar's perspective. It's third-person omniscient for him. And I just, I knew we were going to get Mendenbar in book two, but I didn't realize we were going to get, like, it's not following Cimmerine, it's actually following him. And I really enjoyed that because I also agree with you. I think Mendenbar is a great character. And I, I totally agree with you that these characters are one- maybe more fleshed out than the characters in Arnia, the children in particular, but more that they're also just, I think they're more enjoyable to read. I do understand that. Like I probably mentioned a couple times on the show at this point, like my sister and I read these books growing up. And when I told my sister we were reading these for the show, she's like, Oh my God, I always love those. Especially like what's her name? Princess Cimmerine. And like the thing that she remembers about the book is the character. Like, and I think that, Yeah, it makes sense that that would be attractive to you. 
because I do think it makes it more fun to read when the people you're reading about are interesting. <laughs> and, you know, sorry, my talking about Menembar is a perfect place to start. So he's the king of the Enchanted Forest, like you said, and his magic as the king is, like, pretty dope. Like, he can kind of, like, reach into the air of the Enchanted Forest and, like, feel the magic and control it. Like, he's got cool magic, I think. Yes, I did think that was super cool how they established his magical ability coming from being the king. Like, kind of once he fulfilled that role, he gained the magic. I, like, liked that explanation, and I liked how they how it was described, how he used the magic, like he could kind of see it almost like in the air and he could access it. So I did enjoy that. But also Mendenbar is clearly being set up from the very beginning to fall in love with Cimmerine because he mentions right from the start that he doesn't want a brainless wife. There's like a mentioning that he needs to get married soon. And he's like, all the princesses are so silly. And like, he just absolutely doesn't want to have to do that. And of course, we know as the reader from the first book that Cimmerine is like one of the only princesses, it seems, who actually has a brain and like has opinions on things. And it's just, you know, not like other girls, not like other princesses. So clearly, if he's if he's starting out with this book, he must be her future husband. Like they're clearly destined for marriage by the end of the book. Yeah, it's so obvious. I mean, it's it's so obvious, which I don't mind. I, I also like that there's no conflict in it. They just, they like each other. Easy. Yeah. But that's me jumping ahead. First, they have to meet. So, for them to meet, he comes upon a dead circle that's kind of been, like, burned out of the Enchanted Forest, which is obviously, if you remember from the last book, they travel through the Enchanted Forest. It's basically like this, like, teeming, super magical place that's kind of in the middle of everything, next to where the dragons live, next to where the wizards are. And it's full of... It's very alive. It's a forest. And, like, there's, like, a circle that's basically, like, completely uh, dry and burned out. And that's basically going to lead him to go talk to Morwen, who's going to lead him to go talk to Kazool to get answers about it. Because he finds dragon scales in the burned out area. And so when we get this first information of him finding the burned out circle and he finds the dragon scales, my initial guess was that Warhog, which was the dragon from last book, who was the villain, had burned down a section of the Enchanted Forest and maybe the wizards helped him do it and like magically alter his scales because all the scales were different colors, but they were the same shape. Which I think was a really good guess. It wasn't quite right, but I do think it was a good guess. I wrote down, I was like, obviously the wizards did this because their staffs suck up magic. And since the Enchanted Forest is literally enchanted, but also like whether I remembered that from it being the case or also just like, I'm so steeped in the lore of this world that I was like, obviously something that dries up a magical area must be something sucking up magic, which obviously has to be a wizard. Like I knew what it was, but I think your guess was really good. Like, so, of course, I was, <laughs> so, of course, Charles got it right and I got it wrong. Also, I want to point out that it could not have been Warhog because, which I did remember this a little bit of ways through, he was turned into a frog at the end of the last book. So he, like, doesn't even exist anymore as a dragon. I think they said, like, somebody I think Simarine said so, he like, got he's eaten. Gone. I was like, savage. Yeah, so he's he's dead, gone forever. So that's not even an option. But I was close because I did definitely think the 
wizards were involved. And I think the frog thing was mentioned a little bit. So then my next theory came from basically we get that Morwen, like Charles said, he goes to Morwen to ask about the dragon scales. And she said that she doesn't think that a dragon would do it because they wouldn't leave their scales behind like that. Like they're smarter than that. And that was when my next theory was I thought that maybe the wizards just took Warhog scales. Like, since they worked with him for a long time, they could have had some of his scales left behind. And they used them to plant evidence because they actually burned down the section of the forest, which was true. Like Charles said, it was their wizard staff sucked it up. And they could have done that to make it seem like the dragons did it because they hate the dragons. And they'd want the king of the Enchanted Forest to get upset and think that the dragons were trying to attack his forest, which he probably which could possibly start a war. So they like are just basically trying to stir up trouble, which kind of ends up being what it was. Is correct. It's totally true. And also after Morwen had said this to Mendenbar, I had also wrote that I forgot that the wizard staff soak up magic. So of course it had to be the wizards who burned the forest because Mendenbar also says that all of the magic vanished from there. Like it wasn't just like all the trees and the grass were dead. Because like we said, Mendebar can kind of like almost see magic in the air. In that specific area, the burnt out circle, there was no magic left. So it like totally makes sense. But I was obviously just a bit slow in uh, making that connection. But I did realize it before Mendenbar did. So I was just like, hopefully he'll make the connection quickly. He basically needs Simmerine to explain it to him because she explains the staffs to him. So... You are way ahead of him. Yeah. So he does actually figure it out, though, like I said, because of Cimmerian, because Zeminar comes and basically threatens Mendenbar, which he did this to Cimmerian, too. And I was like, boy, maybe find a different strategy to get what you want. Like, don't be so ominous all the time. Like, maybe people would trust you if you weren't so, like, sketchy. Anyway, so he kind of threatens Mendenbar, and Mendenbar's like, well, that was suspicious. And then he goes in. I just have to say the fact that Zeminar, these wizards, they just come and like openly threaten people and they're in no way punished for these things. Like I know in the last book with everything that went down, like obviously Warhog the dragon, like he wasn't punished. He just like stopped being a dragon because he wasn't acting like a dragon. Like I guess that's some sort of. It's like a dragon magic thing. Like it wasn't even, it wasn't even the dragons. Yeah, that's like a dragon rule. But as far as far as the wizards went, they kind of just, like, got away with it, which I know, I think Azul said, like, she didn't want to start anything. Well, because, like, it wasn't like they could necessarily prove it. I can't remember, but, like, she didn't want to stir up any more trouble. Well, I was thinking about that because I also thought about that, and I thought about it as a kid, too. But they kind of glance off of it. Simmerine basically says the dragons didn't want to make a fuss about it because they didn't want to... Like, it's one line in this book where she's like, the dragons didn't want to, like, admit to everyone else how close the wizards were to, like, taking over their election. But I was like... But that's so stupid that's because dumb. now the wizards are just going to continue to cause issues for them and it's going to escalate like it did. They literally kidnapped the king. They're going to... Are they going to try to cover that up too? Yeah. I feel like you're making, a, like, a nice big political metaphor about the United States and, like... How we need to convict people who, like, commit treason and try to overthrow our government. And if we just I let mean, them yes, get away with it and, you know. That's a perfect comparison. I mean, especially, like, I'm saying, like, in this specific scene where Zeminar is literally going and, like, making threats openly. Like, 
I agree. Obviously, he's, agree. like, doing it through subtle language, but it's still, like, how is he able to do that and just, like, get away with it without any consequences? Like, of course they're going to continue to stir up trouble. Yes, that is, like, a perfect... I think it's a good point. And I think that you're right. I think it is comparison. a lacking in this book. And I noticed it as a kid, too, because I was like, can't we just, like, punish the wizards? Like, they just, like, basically tried to have a coup in the first book. And now they basically almost successfully pulled off the coup in the second book. So I think it's a great parallel. So, anyway. Zeminar. Super threatening. Super suspicious. Probably should be put behind bars. Hashtag lock her up. And then, um, Mendenbar, he ends up meeting Simarine. And they like each other. And Simarine is, of course, nothing like Zeminar says. And so Mendenbar is like, well... If his judgment about Cimmerine was wrong, his, pro- his judgment probably was wrong about everything. So the wizards are up to no good. And Cimmerine kind of nudges him there, but she doesn't even, like, come out and be like, I hate all wizards. Like, she just explains, like, this is my interaction with them. And they decide, oh, the wizards are up to no good. And then... I mean, the wizards are very sus. Yes. Like, I mean, they're making open threats, and they're just sus in every way. Yeah. Very suspicious. And then... Kazool is missing, so Simmerine is actually going to go find her. Yes, so now Simmerine and Mendenbar get to go on an adventure together, which, of course, is setting them up to get to know each other better and fall in love, of course. So, yes, the ending and what was coming was pretty obvious and just, like, well set up. But I will say it was just, like, really sweet because it's not – this is not at all, like, a romance novel, like – it's kind of like they're just spending t- time together and we just keep, because we're getting more of like Mendenbar's thoughts, like third person omniscient. And he's just like, I really like Simmerine. Like I like spending these time with her. And then he's like, oh, he's like gets disappointed when she like leaves and is not like directly with him. And then he's like the thought of like this adventure being over and her like going back to be with Kazul. He's like, I don't like that. Like she has to stay with me forever. So it was just, like, so, like, such an innocent, like, simple way of, like, thinking about love. So, like, I don't know. I thought it was really cute. Also, no love triangle. I mean, anytime there's no love triangle, like. It's just better. That's just honestly better. just doing the bare minimum right there. Because love <laughs> triangles, like, need to be canceled. Like, no more ever No again. more love like, triangles in 2023. <laughs> Any authors out there, if you're writing a young adult book, do not put a love triangle in. You will be canceled immediately, at least by throwback paperback. It's just like, it's not creative. And also, give your readers, because, okay. It's also just not interesting for people who actually like romance, because the reality is, like, we want to see two people fall in love. We want don't want to see one person falling in love with multiple people and have to choose, like, and then also then that's automatically setting up that somebody has to get hurt. Like, it's just not fun. Also, it's generally not realistic because, I mean, again, things happen where people, like, are in that situation in real life. But generally, people aren't in, like, a, you have two suitors that are, like, vying for your attention. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, though. It, like, it would escalate so far that, like, you would, like, essentially have a relationship with both of them and then have to choose because if you're between in a the two relationships. And if you're in a situation like that in real life where you're basically in a relationship with both of them, neither of those relationships is not good. Like, like it's not healthy. Also because clearly both of those people are not giving you everything that you need 
for like a romantic partnership seeing that you have to like seek out someone else like also love triangles so obviously for a book for a plot for a story to happen there has to be conflict and like so give your reader something nice give them something happy to enjoy so that they can also deal with the conflict like they they have to deal they have to deal with whatever is going on in the plot anyway. So don't make them also have to deal with personal drama too. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to get on a love triangle thing, but you know, I just I I really I I it's not interesting to me. <laughs> okay. Anyway. The wizards have captured the Kazool. They're trying to start drama with between the dragons in the forest. I mean Zeminar literally says that. He's like um, maybe the Enchanted Forest should be on my side. And then he frames the dragons to basically start a war. And, again, no punishment. But that's where we're at in the book. So they're going on their quest, and Cimmerian keeps telling Mendenbar that his sword is, like, leaking more and more magic. And at this point, I was like, why is this happening? And also, like, why is Cimmerian the only one who can see this? Like, Mendenbar can't tell that it's happening, which I was like, does Simmerine have, like, some sixth sense? Like, because she also, like, can do magic, which I also love how Menembar was like, and, like, she's a sorcerer? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like she's like, she can do everything. <laughs> he was so impressed. Um, are you asking a magic fantasy question? Are you trying to understand the rules of magic? Are you interested? Well, sorry, I don't mean to mock you like that, but it is funny to me. Um. The explanation we get later on is basically that the sword is linked to the forest, and because he's not in the forest, it's kind of like beaconing magic. I don't think it's just Cimmerine, because Telemaine says he can see it later, too. I just think Cimmerine's the only person around. <laughs> yeah, I also, I mean, I got that. They did explain it later in the book. I asked this question way early on when she first mentions it, but... I just, I also just, I guess I thought, I mean, I guess it did, like, serve a purpose because she was also saying how since his sword was leaking magic, it was almost, like, drawing attention to them. Like, it was almost like a beacon. Like, yeah. I thought of it, like, kind of like a flashing light, basically, that was, like, sending out, like, anybody who's involved with magic would, like, no, because this sword is just, like, sending out echolocation. It's like, oh, look at me. I'm right here. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And so, like, that affected, like, I think their dealings with the wizards, but... It's also just common in fantasy that, like, in almost every single magical world, like, magic has to leave a trace because... Yeah, I had more so just wanted to write it down because I, like, it seemed like it was going to be important. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of, like, goes back to, like, how at the end he basically sets up that the wizard... He sets up the spell where as long as the sword stays in the forest, wizard staffs won't work, which he kind of sets up at the end. Um, which is important that the sword is linked to the forest. That is important for the next few books. But I think that um, it's just, this is me being a fantasy nerd, but like for fantasy books to work, there have to be like repercussions for magic. Like it can't be like universally, like you can't be able to get away with it all the time because otherwise it makes like everyone too powerful and too, um, like it just makes everything too easy like for example you know in harry potter like it's very like spells leave a trace and so if you know how to look for that trace you can figure out who cast the spell or 
when they were cast or what it was looking for or stuff like that. Like, it's just that they it can't, or, you know, some, like, a lot of fantasy, like, wizards or whatever, it'll take, like, life force or, like, energy from them to cast their spell, so they have to, like, recover afterwards. And I think this is, like, it's like a beacon. I don't know. I Maybe I'm just getting a little too analytical. I could probably write a whole dissertation on, like, the... Yeah, you kind of lost me in the middle there. I stopped listening. It went a little well, too that was your fault. But... But thank you for that explanation for our listeners. I missed it. But, you know, I'll catch it again when I edit the episode. You're welcome. So it's a usual quest. Flying carpet. Snakes. I hated that scene. I forgot it was in there and I hated it anyway. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot about that. It was awful. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. I mean, they, like, all the kill snakes carpet, for 20 minutes. They did. They really did kill snakes for, like, they just kept saying, they just kept coming. I mean, all I got from that scene was at the end. Like, Mendenbar was like, I hope she's good with the sword. Of course, the Marine was good with the sword. And afterwards, she, like, had a bunch of dead snakes around her. And he was just like, wow, that's hot. Like, that was that was the <laughs> translation from the fantasy. Wow, <laughs> But that's, that's not hot. what it said, but that was the translation I got. And then they meet Telemane, who's a magician, and he wants to join them. Favorite character. And really, I thought you would think he was annoying. He's so funny. He's, He's like fun. the comedic relief. Yeah. And so they meet up with Morwen too, and they're going to go confront the wizards. And I just want to say this now, in case it happens later. Do you sense Morwen telemane romance? I guess. I mean, also, I don't know why in the first book I thought Morwen was like this old lady. And like, then in this book, she's, she's, no, a, she's hottie, a hot like, mama. I think they say she's like a redhead. She's like got this beautiful, <laughs> luscious hair and like she's very young. And I was like, I don't know why, like imagine this like old witch. Like, I, I don't know why, like, cause I'm sure she wasn't described like that in the last book, but. No, she's like a like, hottie. Well, isn't Telemaine like, wait, what does Telemaine look like? I just think they're all like young adults. I feel like they're all just like 26 and hot. Also, because more when I saw, I thought of her as like being an adult, and like Simarine was a child, like she was like a teenager. Like I do think Simarine is seventeen, but in my head, all four of them are like. And then of course, Mendenbar is probably like thirty-five. That's you creepy. Know, that's how it always. No, <laughs> they're all they're all a solid twenty-seven and equally hot. In my head. I mean, that would make sense. That, so, yeah, there could definitely be a love story there. But, like, I wasn't thinking of them as, like, being romantic beings because I was imagining her as an old lady. So, <laughs> not that old people can't be romantic, but I just wasn't that imagining that for her. But, yes, I could see that. I mean, she and him know each other. Like, it's very clear that they've met before. And it could be my subconscious telling me. Like, it could actually happen in the books and my subconscious is just remembering that. Spoiler. But even... I don't think it's a spoiler because, like we've discussed, I'm not 100% sure. Like, I I just, I have this feeling that there was tension between them, like romantic tension. But I'm wondering if that's because it was in the text or because deep down I know. But it's not me being a spoiler because I don't know. Okay. We've discussed this multiple times on this show. Like, sometimes we have a premonition, but it's because we read the books before. <laughs> well, anyway... Moving on. So to a side note, on their way to the cave, <laughs> when they're getting to the cave where Kazul is being held by the wizards, I was like, here we go. Mendebar is finally realizing that he's 
actually falling in love with Cimmerine in the tunnel because, like I said, she's not like other girls. She's not like other princesses. And she, like, touches him to, like, make sure he's okay. And, you know, his, like, heart skips a beat. He passes out. He throws up. He's like, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing in the world. Never take your hand off of me. That was a direct quote from the book. It was not. If Throwback Paperback had merch, I think she's not like other girls. She's not like other princesses. It would make a great sweatshirt. I think that would be incredible. I think that would sell really well, too. She's not like other girls. She's not like other princesses. Like, can you just imagine wearing that on the street? People would be like, tell me more. I mean, I would dress up as Simmerine for Halloween. She's an iconic character. Like, honestly, I want, like, the HBO show for this. But, like, oh make my it, God, like... yeah. But make it, like, PG-13. Add some more raunchiness into it. Some more sexual tension. Because, you know, that was lacking, Fewer snakes. But... <laughs> Fewer snakes, more sex. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, oh, the snakes goodness. would don't bother me. As long as there's no spiders, I'm fine. What is our podcast become? Got it. Let's anyway. go back to what what was that book? The second book, Secrets of the Immortal, Nicholas Lamel, when Charles is like, there's not that many spiders, and they literally have, you know, flashback, trigger warning to anybody who doesn't like bugs or anything. You might want to skip the next 20 seconds, maybe 30 you seconds. Wanna skip, you want to skip all of our episodes on the sorceress. But there is a scene in that book where, like, one of the main characters, a lady, she literally, <laughs> well, one, she's, like, best friends with a huge spider, like, giant, like, like I don't know, the size of a bear. Bigger than that, bigger than that. Like, size of a giant. No, the size of know. a house. Size of a house. Oh, my God, I'm going to throw up. That's disgusting. <laughs> and this, like, house has a whole bunch of babies, and, like, there's, like, five million spiders on this island and like she kills a bunch of them and then she's like literally wading through their dead carcasses like in bare feet her toes they're in between her toes and all her cracks and crevices i'm gonna throw up okay okay it's over now for those people who had to skip you're okay to listen now we won't be mentioning those again (laughs) that was so gross okay anyway the team successfully melts the wizards and they free Kazool. And it was easy, unsurprisingly, because this is a kid's book. And also, the wizards are just so dumb. Like, they're literally, I mean, that's where, you know, it's like a children's book that, like, they're not even evil. Like, they're not actually evil. They're like, it's like in Scooby-Doo, like, where they unmask. Like, they're just so easy to catch. Like, Well, also, you gotta wonder, and it, again, this could be a premonition, too, but I'm like, are the wizards ever gonna figure out a solution? Because this whole melting them with soap and lemon seems to be working real well and i'm like if i was a wizard and i'd seen myself or my son or literally anyone i know but mostly myself get melted you know what i i'd be like number one priority before we try to commit any other treason figure out a way not to get melted because i feel yeah, like they need to put like some get some waterproof clothing on or something but i feel like i guess it's not a number one priority because it's not permanent it's always temporary it's like unclear how long it takes them for them to come back but like it's not like they're killing them like it's kind of like they're like knocking them out for like a couple days or something i know but every plan you make could get destroyed like everything they try to do as long as they just get melted who cares what they do i mean what they really need what simmering they need a hose because then you'd have an 
limited access because like they they are limited right now like that power is limited because it's based on how many buckets of this soapy concoction can you carry except when they're in the enchanted forest and Mendenbar can just turn on the soap oh my gosh i forgot about that he does have. he's the one that ends up doing it because they didn't actually bring enough buckets and he literally they remember so maybe that's what's gonna come in the next book is they're gonna come with some they're gonna try to create a spell that's like soapy water Make some soapy water resistance. Yeah. Okay. Then, so actually this is a perfect segue because the reason Mendenbar thinks of it is because Cimmerine gives the best one-liner in the whole book. And that's what makes Mendenbar suit the water. It doesn't work. And then Cimmerine's like, did you remember the lemon? And he's like, no. And he doesn't. And it works. But this is the best one-liner in the whole book. Cimmerine is like yelling at Zeminar. And she's like, you want all the power and the magic? And then this is a direct quote. You wouldn't even know what to do with it. Your hair looks like a bird's nest. Like, I just love that him not knowing what to do with power and magic is because he's so, such a mess in life that his hair is a mess. I thought that was so funny. Eh, that was okay. Telemaine was definitely the funniest character. In my opinion, he had the best one-liners. Okay, do you have any that you can pull? So there were two that I can think off of the top of my head that, like, actually cracked me up. Like, I definitely giggled. Also, remember, I am reading these little children's dragon books on the New York City subway, so I am getting judged, especially now that I'm giggling, giggling on the train at these little kids' books. So that's embarrassing. No one is judging you. They are. People are not looking at you on the subway. They're like, I just want to see. Anyway, so the first one, I I don't have any of the direct quotes, but basically, I think... Well, Telemaine, part of his character, so he's a magician, and his, like, whole thing is, like, he wants to understand how all magic is. So, like, a big premise of his character is he's constantly, like, can you do that again? Like, please explain. And, like, he talks in this really, like, intelligent language that, like, no one understands, and then he has to, like, break it down in layman's terms. So that's, like, a premise for that. And I think it's, like, when they're with the with Jack who to get the carpet fixed, and... Basically, Cimmerine, you know, was like, we need to get going because, like, Kazul and Telemaine, I think, is talking to Mendenbar about something and he, like, wants him to show him something again. And Cimmerine's like, you said that we were going to do this. And he's like, do you ever stop interrupting? Like, it was just so <laughs> random. And Cimmerine <laughs> was, like, so taken aback. And then Mendenbar ends up, like, saying the exact same thing she did. And he's like, okay, fine. And she's like, that's, like, literally what I just said, but okay. I'm not really explaining it right. I wish I had the direct quote. But it was, I definitely giggled at that. I, I do remember that. I also really like that Mendenbar always understands what Telemann is saying and has to translate for him. And it's just really funny because, like, like it's just really interesting because Mendenbar, like, it's it's very entertaining that Mendenbar says something absolutely insane. And then Mendenbar always understands it and has to translate for everyone else. That is, like, their comedy duo does work really well. And that comedy duo also comes into probably my favorite one-liner from the book, which is, so, Mendenbar, like, he has his magical sword, and at the very end, he has to, like, end up doing this super hard spell, basically. He, so, after they, just catching back up with the plot, after they melt all of the wizards, they collect all of their staffs, and he uses his sword to suck, like, all the magic out of them so that they'll no longer suck magic out of the enchanted forest from like just sitting around and he does this like really hard spell and like Cimmerine comes and touches his shoulder to like help him and he closes his eyes and he does this like 
basically like groundbreaking spell it's like the biggest like it's like the climax of the book basically and after he completes it he like opens his eyes and is like shocked and the first person to speak everyone's like in silence like shocked is telemane and he's like can you do that again (laughs) so i can take notes (laughs) so i can analyze it like how is that's the funniest line of the whole book like that is literally in a movie imagine it's the most groundbreaking moment the moment we've all been waiting for he has somehow has the power to do it and then this guy on the side is like can you do that again like i need to take notes on that let me analyze it like let me get a picture like i don't know i just thought that was so funny like his character has those kind of like one-liners which i just thought was so funny like i can imagine it as a movie he's situationally very funny like I don't think what he has to say is that funny necessarily, but I think, like, he's ridiculous No, it's the situational, like, which I guess I find those kind of things funny and, like, I don't know, it gives me, like, like, Marvel movies, like, how they have stuff like that. Like, people have one-liners in the context of the situation that's just hilarious. Well, I find it hilarious at least, so I was getting that vibe from him, which is why I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I still think you wouldn't even know what to do with it. Your hair looks like a bird's nest is really funny, but... I mean, that is pretty funny, I guess, but I didn't giggle out loud. I did giggle out loud when we read about the spell and then Telemine's like, can you do it again? I was like, Oh, I was on the plane and I read the, your hair looks like a bird's nest and I giggled and the person next to me looked over at me and I, because I just, also, as Asia mentioned, I actually audiobook the podcast because I find it eat the books. Like, I listen to them. So you're just staring off in a space. They probably think you're listening to music. No, I was like, knitting. Why is this man just like knitting. And I have like my headphones in. And all of a sudden, I just start chuckling. And the person next to me thought I was insane. Also, my flight, like, it was really early in the morning. And we were like 40 minutes delayed in taking off. So, like, the fact that I was awake enough and knitting, everyone else on this plane probably, like, it was literally 6 a.m. Everyone was probably like, was the plane dark and you were knitting in the dark? Yes. <laughs> so you, okay, so let's, let's set the scene. It's a dark plane, early hours, everyone else, all the lights are off, everyone's trying to sleep, Charles has his headphones in, listening to an audiobook, has knitting, and Charles knits very fast, it's like actually scary, He's, his hands are just going a mile a minute, and all of a sudden he's sitting there, you know, staring off into space, not, he doesn't look at the needles, he's just going. And he just starts giggling, yeah, I'd be terrified. I'd be like, there's a serial killer next to me. Flight attendant, I need to be moved. I'm going to die. This man, he's, what's so funny? Like, and then I just turned. Just out of nowhere. Your hair looks like a bird's nest. Also, because you're in the dark, like, they might not have been able, to, been able to tell that you had headphones in, because, like, who can multitask like that? But that's actually hilarious. Oh, I'm laughing. I'm crying. That's literally how it happened, and it was so early. Okay. Well, and I don't feel as uh, feel as embarrassed about, you know, just my little giggle on the train. I think anyone who sees anyone reading a physical book on the train, I'm impressed. I see people, and I see people who are reading, like, the first Game of Thrones book, and I'm like, you are way behind the curve. But And I'm like, also, don't keep reading, because it's just going to get sad. But I'm like, I'm always impressed when people are reading a physical book on the train. Every time. I mean, I will say that is probably true. One time I was reading, because I'm usually reading on the train, and some guy who's sitting next to me, he's like, you're reading a book? He's like, I feel like I never see people reading on the train. And I'm like, really? I feel like I see people all the time, but maybe I'm just too too engrossed in my Do you want to hear a really funny story about reading on a train? I think we can. Um, 
so I was in. I'm like, I don't think it matters if I want to hear it. You're going to tell it. So I was living in Europe in middle school and in Austria where they speak German. And I was like on my way to like dance class. And I was with my mom and I was reading a book just like for fun. And it was an English book because I obviously speak English and like I, I sometimes I read in German, but like I primarily read in English and I was reading and this old lady was across from me and she literally like was, you know, you know, like sometimes old people who like can't hear as well, like they're not really great at modulating their volume. So she was speaking to someone and she definitely thought she was whispering, but she wasn't. And she's like, oh my God. And so she's speaking in German and she's like speaking to like her husband and she's like, Oh my God, he's reading on the train. That's so impressive. And then she looks over again and she's like, and even better, he's reading in English. (laughs) And my mom just like starts dying laughing because I'm like, you know, we obviously, you know, it wasn't impressive to us that I was reading in English. But anyway. But because of that story, I literally, anytime I see anyone reading a physical book on public transportation, I'm like, good for you. You're doing better than I am. Says the person who's sitting on the train, listening to an audiobook, knitting, and probably having a conversation with someone at the same time. I take my headphones out when I'm having the conversation. Anyway, getting back to the plot. So, of course, as we predicted, at the very end, Mendenbar and Simarine do get married, which... I do think it's cute, like, how he kind of proposes. He's just, like, it's at the end of the book. They've gotten Kazul back, and they're back at the castle. And he's, like, Simarine, like, I need to talk to you. He's, like, I don't think that you should go back with Kazul. Like, I don't, like, I think you should stay here with me. And then he's just, like, because I love you. And I was just, like, okay, we're just throwing out. Yeah, he just said it. He just said it. Like, and I was, like, you know what? Respect. You you go, Mendebar. Like, just... Say what's on your heart. And so, yeah. So then, of course, she's like, yes, I'll marry you. And they their wedding is like the end of the book. And, of course, it's like the biggest event of the century for this world. Mm-hmm. They literally, like, invite every single living being to ever have existed on this planet. Or I don't know. Maybe they're, like, floating on a cloud. Since I also say, love I that, know, like, they got a letter back from Samreen's parents that are, like, tell us what half of the kingdom he wants. Because they because it had such a hard time marrying Samreen off that, like, in the last book, this is, like, wait, we didn't even talk about it because it's so minor. Their, her dad had been, like, I will literally give you half of my kingdom and take this princess off my hands. Which seems like a bad economic strategy, but whatever. And they literally have to email, like, email. They have to email their parents back. They have to mail, let her parents know that they're fine with one kingdom. Like, that he didn't marry her just for a half of her kingdom, which I thought was very funny. It's super cute wedding. I love the, like, little interlude with the gargoyle and, like, how he can't get the wedding, but Simarine is just nice to him. And they've always liked that. So I was super happy with it. Other thoughts? So I just wrote down at the end that I thought that the quote there on the back of the book, there was like this short little coat, coat, this short little quote that I felt really summed up the story. And it just says, kidnap a dragon? How daring? How stupid? And I feel like that sums up the whole plot because basically it started with (laughs) Kazul is missing and it's obviously the wizards and, you know, 
I guess they did hold her for like a few days, but like how stupid. Literally, they did all that and they still got melted with soapy water. Like what was even the point? Like they're just failures. And (laughs) (laughs) this is my point. They need to develop a counter spell. And also because now they're in even bigger trouble and... I'm guessing the next book, the next book is called Calling on Dragons. I'm thinking that that means, because at this point, I feel like there's no way Kazul can be like, oh, we'll just like brush it aside. Like they literally kidnapped her and like withheld food. Like that's a form of torture. Like they have to do something about them. So I'm just guessing that it's, it's going to be crime. like, she's calling on all the dragons to like, I don't know if it's going to be like a war, but it's like, we have to like hunt down the wizards and like lock them up. Hashtag lock her up. Like, I don't know if there's, like, wizard jail. I, I don't know if that's, like, if there's prisons in this magical world or if they just, like, execute people or exile them. I know there's another quest-like thing in the next book, but that's all I remember. So I honestly don't know. But I just know that there's a questy kind of thing in the next book. That's all I can remember. I don't even know what it's about. Um, yeah, do you have any other, like, final thoughts before we wrap up, before we read the next book? I'll just, you know, again, emphasize that I am enjoying this a lot, and I do think it's just because I love all of the characters. I feel like it's super easy to compare this to Narnia, because we read that recently, and that was one of our more fantasy books, like, compared to what we've read, like, at least recently, and... Like, I said that a lot when we were reading Narnia, that to me, the fact that we, like, didn't follow one set of characters, like, through the whole series, it was just really hard for me to, like, get invested in the story because I'm more drawn to characters. I like seeing a character growth, like, a character, an arc for them, and it was just hard to get that when we were, like, jumping around from character to character, whereas here... We, even though we got obviously introduced to other characters, like Simmerine was still like a huge part of this story. And I also just think I just like these characters better. Like, honestly, like in Narnia, I just really didn't like the characters except for the main Pevensey children. And they were only in a couple books. So I think that all has to do with that. And of course, in this book, I loved the romance. So Honestly, this book only made it better for me. Like I said, I think I actually like this book better than the last one. So I don't know if the next book will be able to top this because, you know, they're already married. Like, I don't know. I guess maybe we're going to get some Morwen and Telemain romance possibly. So maybe that'll do it for me. But we'll see. I mean, so, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'm enjoying it as much as I can. (laughs) It's still a children's book. At least I can promise you there's not going to be, like, marital trouble, which is nice. Oh, I wouldn't be expecting that for a children's book. You wouldn't be expecting <laughs> Divorce. Anyway, but Actually, we hate each other and we marry each other too young. I, okay, I agree. I mean, I totally agree. The characters are just very enjoyable. But I will say, what's Idris' favorite book? Twilight. Who's the main character in Twilight? Bella Swan. Is she an interesting character? Not at all. But... That's true, but I like Twilight because I like the romance of Twilight, and I will say I like the world in Twilight. Or not even like the, I guess the world, because I like the vampire stuff, and like even the werewolf stuff. It's very interesting. I like Bella in book four. But I also, I like the world as it has to do with the characters. Like I like the Cullens. Like I like getting the story on each Cullen character. I like hearing about the, what is the tribe called? The well, history also of the, the history of, yeah. like, the werewolves and stuff, like, their family, like, 
I thought all that was interesting, but it was still in relation to the characters. Like, I like how in Eclipse, like, we get Rosalie's story, we get Jasper's story. Like, it wouldn't, to me, like, if we would just read, like, how we read our bonus episode on the short second life of Brie Tanner, like, if Twilight would have just been about the world of vampires and we didn't follow, like, one set of characters for a couple books, like, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Like, I just wouldn't have. Because as interested as I am in the world, like, I still, like, for me, I enjoy stories because I enjoy watching characters, like, specifically. I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. Also because, I mean, Bella Swan is a kind of garbage character. But I do agree with that. Bella Swan is a basic character. She's not that interesting. I do think that, like, I do think she's actually has a lot of growth. And also, Bella, like, I do think that she, like, her desire to become a vampire makes perfect sense. And I feel like that's something that, like, people who have just seen the movies are, like, kind of just, like, just kind of, like, no highlight Twilight for the hype. They don't actually, like, give her that respect. They're just like, oh, my God, she just wants to be with her boyfriend forever. And I'm like, no, if you look at Bella's personality, like, she always... It all kind of, like, comes together in the And end. it makes sense for her. But, like, you know. she's always felt, like, completely in the background. Sorry, this is me going off on a tangent. Point is, I think Bella is... Because we, in case you forgot, we did turn Charles into a Twilight stan. He loves Twilight. He's already stated that that's his favorite series that we've read on the no, show. not true. Of, like, things that weren't his. Yes, true. I think that is true. I, I clarified. I clarified. Just like I said, I think my favorite series. Do you know what my favorite series is of the ones that like have you've suggest you've suggested? The City of Ember. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Boo. At least off the top of my head, I'm Lina thinking. Dune. Oh, no. I mean Lina. What did I call her? Lima Bean. It's gotta be your books. I mean Mendenbar. <laughs> I didn't even comment on it. I was. I was, really I was trying like, to refrain myself, <laughs> but these fantasy books and just Charles picks in general. The names are ridiculous. Like. What? I I can't believe, like, that people don't love his dark materials as much as I do. I'm so excited for season three. I'm, like, I guess by the time this episode comes out. Have you been watching out, the show? By the time this episode comes out, season three will have already started. And I will be there watching it. Oh, well, we still have to watch it. We still, we still have to finish the Maze Runner. But his dark materials would maybe be... Well, no. His dark materials, that was the one where they, like, he the polar bear, like, sliced open his flesh. Yeah. Right? That was yes. that book. And also, I didn't like how it ended. It did not have a happy ending, and I do like a happy ending in books. Okay. Especially, there was romance at the end, and it did not have a happy ending. It was It was devastating. devastating. Anyway, let's... It was devastating. So, you know, if you're not looking for heartbreak, don't, don't listen to those it's episodes. It's true. Or at least it not the last one. truly heartbreaking. I'm not looking forward to seeing that in the show, but... Yeah, I, like, distinctly remember, like, I'm sure you'll, if you listen to it, I was angry, as usual. I was angry. You know, I don't really get upset. I just get angry. Okay. We've spent a lot of time this week talking, this episode, talking about other books, but it's just because we've covered so many, and we have a, I mean, that's how we came up with the idea for the podcast, was that we would talk about books that both of us had read and compare the books we were currently reading. So, that's how we kind of came up with the show anyway. So, anyway, next week, we're going to read book three, which is... Calling on Dragons. We're going to read the whole thing. So get with it. Read along. 
And as always, if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty or facebook.com slash nerdparty. And find me, I'm at asiabonia on TikTok and at asia.pony on Instagram. And we are approaching the end of our list of things that we have read before. So if you have any suggestions for any book series or single books, anything that you read as a kid, as a teenager, send it to us. Send it to us because we want to cover it. We want to cover what the audience wants to hear. Especially because we're thinking that maybe once we start doing like audience things, we'll be able to like read things just like in one week because it won't be like one of us has a lot to bring from like the past to bring it unpack it. So we might not have to do books. We might get to do books one book per week, which I think is a fun pace for us. Um, so we just we're gonna go through books and we want to hear what you guys because also the listener suggestions we've really enjoyed them so. Yeah. Anyway, I'm at Seashells on Instagram if you want to send the suggestions to me because I'm your favorite host. If you enjoy our show, make sure you rate and review it. You know the deal. Share it with people that you like. Share the Divergent episodes with your enemies. And check out the other no, podcasts. No, specifically Inkheart. Divergent <laughs> can be with, like, your frenemies, I would say. Inkheart is for your true enemies. No, yeah. no, we already said. Make them read Inkheart. Yeah. Make them read Inkheart. <laughs> That's for your true enemies. Tell, yeah, tell your true enemies that Inker is your favorite book and that you want them to read it because that's torture. And check out the other podcasts we have on the Nerd Party Network and subscribe to ours so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe button and have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.